Section 2 of the Arabian Nights Entertainments, Volume 3, translated by Jonathan Scott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gillian Hendry. The Arabian Nights Entertainments, Volume 3, translated by Jonathan Scott, 1754 to 1829. Section 2. The story of Beder, prince of Persia, and Jehanara, princess of Samandal, or Samander. Part 2. As soon as the king of Persia was in the closet, Queen Gulnar ordered one of her women to bring her a firepan with a little fire. After that she bade her retire and shut the door. When she was alone, she took a piece of aloes wood out of a box and put it into the firepan. As soon as she saw the smoke rise, she repeated some words unknown to the king of Persia, who observed with great attention all that she did. She had no sooner ended than the sea began to be disturbed. The closet the king was in was so contrived that looking through the lattice on the same side with the windows that faced the sea, he could plainly perceive it. At length the sea opened at some distance and presently there arose out of it a tall, handsome young man, with whiskers of a sea-green colour. A little behind him a lady, advanced in years, but of a majestic air, attended by five young ladies, nothing inferior in beauty to the Queen Gulnar. Queen Gulnar immediately came to one of the windows, and saw the king her brother, the queen her mother, and the rest of her relations who at the same time perceived her also. The company advanced, supported as it were upon the waves. When they came to the edge, they nimbly, one after another, sprung in at the window. King Salah, the queen her mother, and the rest of her relations, embraced her tenderly on their first entrance, with tears in their eyes. After Queen Gulnar had received them with all imaginable honour, and made them sit down upon a sofa, the queen her mother addressed herself to her. "'Daughter,' said she, "'I am overjoyed to see you again after so long an absence, and I am confident that your brother and your relations are no less so. Your leaving us without acquainting any one with your intention involved us in inexpressible concern, and it is impossible to tell you how many tears we have shed on your account.' We know of no reason that could induce you to take such a resolution, but what your brother related to us respecting the conversation that passed between him and you. The advice he gave you seemed to him at that time advantageous for settling you in the world, and suitable to the then posture of our affairs. If you had not approved of his proposal, you ought not to have been so much alarmed, and give me leave to tell you, you took his advice in a different light from what you ought to have done. But no more of this. It serves only to renew the occasion of our sorrow and complaint, which we and you ought to bury forever in oblivion. Give us now an account of all that has happened to you since we saw you last, and of your present situation. But especially, let us know if you are married. Gulnar immediately threw herself at her mother's feet, and kissing her hand, "'Madam,' said she, "'I own I have been guilty of a fault. 
and I am indebted to your goodness for the pardon which you are pleased to grant me. What I am going to say, in obedience to your commands, will soon convince you that it is often in vain for us to have an aversion for certain measures. I have myself experienced that the only thing I had an abhorrence to is that to which my destiny has led me. She then related the whole of what had befallen her since she quitted the sea for the earth. As soon as she had concluded, and acquainted them with her having been sold to the king of Persia, in whose palace she was at present. "'Sister,' said the king, her brother, "'you have been wrong to suffer so many indignities. "'But you can properly blame nobody but yourself. "'You have it in your power now to free yourself, "'and I cannot but admire your patience "'that you could endure so long a slavery. "'Rise, and return with us into my kingdom, "'which I have reconquered from the proud usurper.' who had made himself master of it. The king of Persia, who heard these words from the closet where he stood, was in the utmost alarm. Ah, oh, he said to himself, I am ruined, and if my queen, my Gulnar, hearken to this advice and leave me, I shall surely die, for it is impossible for me to live without her. Queen Gulnar soon put him out of his fears. Brother, said she, smiling, what I have just heard gives me a greater proof than ever of the sincerity of your affection. I could not brook your proposing to me a match with a prince of the earth. Now I can scarcely forbear being angry with you for advising me to break the engagement I have made with the most puissant and most renowned monarch in the world. I do not speak here of an engagement between a slave and her master, it would be easy to return the ten thousand pieces of gold he gave for me. But I speak now of a contract between a wife and a husband, and a wife who has not the least reason to complain. He is a religious, wise, and temperate king, and has given me the most essential demonstrations of his love. What can be a greater proof of the sincerity of his passion than sending away all his women, of which he had a great number? immediately upon my arrival, and confining himself to me alone. I am now his wife, and he has lately declared me Queen of Persia, to share with him in his counsels. Besides, I am pregnant, and if heaven permit me to give him a son, that will be another motive to engage my affections to him the more. So that, brother, continued the Queen Gulnar, instead of following your advice, you see, I have all the reason in the world not only to love the king of Persia as passionately as he loves me, but also to live and die with him, more out of gratitude than duty. I hope, then, neither my mother nor you, nor any of my cousins, will disapprove of the resolution or the alliance I have made, which will do equal honour to the kings of the sea and earth." Excuse me for giving you the trouble of coming hither from the bottom of the deep to communicate it to you, and to enjoy the pleasure of seeing you after so long a separation. Sister, replied King Salah, the proposal I made you of going back with us into my kingdom, upon the recital of your adventures, which I could not hear without concern, was only to let you see how much we all love you, and how much I in particular honour you, and that nothing is so dear to me as your happiness.' 
upon the same account then for my own part i cannot condemn a resolution so reasonable and so worthy of yourself after what you have told us of the king of persia your husband and the great obligations you owe him and i am persuaded that the queen our mother will be of the same opinion the queen confirmed what her son had spoken and addressing herself to gulnar said i am glad to hear you are pleased and i have nothing to add to what your brother has said i should have been the first to condemn you had you not expressed all the gratitude you owe to a monarch that loves you so passionately as the king of persia had been extremely concerned under the apprehension of losing his beloved queen so now he was transported with joy at her resolution never to forsake him and having no room to doubt of her love after so open a declaration he resolved to evince his gratitude in every possible way while the king was indulging incredible pleasure queen gulnar clapped her hands and immediately some of her slaves entered whom she had ordered to bring in a collation as soon as it was served up she invited the queen her mother the king her brother and her cousins to partake they began to reflect that they were in the palace of a mighty king who had never seen or heard of them and that it would be rudeness to eat at his table without him this reflection raised a blush in their faces and in their emotion their eyes glowing like fire they breathed flames at their mouths and nostrils this unexpected sight put the king of persia who was totally ignorant of the cause of it into a dreadful consternation queen gulnar suspecting this and understanding the intention of her relations rose from her seat and told them she would be back in a moment she went directly to the closet and by her presence recovered the king of persia from his surprise sir said she i doubt not but that your majesty is well pleased with the acknowledgment i have made of the many favours for which i am indebted to you i might have complied with the wishes of my relations and gone back with them into their dominions but i am not capable of such ingratitude for which i should have been the first to condemn myself ah my queen cried the king of persia speak no more of your obligations to me you have none i am under so many to you that i shall never be able to repay them i never thought it possible you could have loved me so tenderly as you do and as you have made appear to me in the most endearing manner ah sir replied gulnar could i do less i fear i have not done enough considering all the honours that your majesty has heaped upon me and it is impossible for me to remain insensible of your love after so many convincing proofs as you have given me but sir continued gulnar let us drop this subject and give me leave to assure you of the sincere friendship the queen my mother and the king my brother are pleased to honour you with they earnestly desire to see you and tell you so themselves i intended to have had some conversation with them by ordering a banquet for them before i introduced them to your majesty but they are impatient to pay their respects to you and therefore i beseech your majesty to be pleased to honour them with your presence madam said the king of persia i should be glad to salute persons who have the honour to be so nearly related to you but i am afraid of the flames they breathe at their mouths and nostrils sir 
replied the queen, laughing. You need not in the least fear those flames, which are nothing but a sign of their unwillingness to eat in your palace without your honouring them with your presence and eating with them. The king of Persia, encouraged by these words, rose and went into the apartment with his queen Gulnar. She presented him to the queen her mother, to the king her brother, and to her other relations, who instantly threw themselves at his feet, with their faces to the ground. The king of Persia ran to them, and lifting them up, embraced them one after another. After they were all seated, King Salah began. Sir, said he to the king of Persia, we are at a loss for words to express our joy, to think that the queen my sister, in her disgrace, should have the happiness of falling under the protection of so powerful a monarch. We can assure you she is not unworthy of the high rank to which you have been pleased to raise her, and we have always had so much love and tenderness for her that we could never think of parting with her to any of the puissant princes of the sea, who have often demanded her in marriage before she came of age. Heaven has reserved her for you, and we have no better way of testifying our gratitude for the favour it has done her than beseeching it to grant your majesty a long and happy life with her, and to crown you with prosperity and satisfaction. Certainly, replied the king of Persia, heaven reserved her for me, as you observe. I love her with so tender and ardent a passion, that I am satisfied I never loved any woman till I saw her. I cannot sufficiently thank either the queen, her mother, or you, prince, or your whole family, for the generosity with which you have consented to receive me into an alliance so glorious to me as yours. So saying, he invited them to take part of the collation, and he and his queen sat down with them. After the collation, the king of Persia conversed with them till it was very late, and when they thought it convenient to retire, he waited upon them himself to the several apartments he had ordered to be prepared for them. The king of Persia treated his illustrious guests with continual feasts, in which he omitted nothing that might show his grandeur and magnificence, and insensibly prevailed with them to stay with him till the queen was brought to bed. When the time of her lying in drew near, he gave particular orders that nothing should be wanting proper for such an occasion. At length she was brought to bed of a son, to the great joy of the queen her mother, who assisted at the labour, and presented him to the king. The king of Persia received this present with a joy easier to be imagined than expressed. The young prince, being of a beautiful countenance, he thought no name so proper for him as that of Beder, which in the Arabian language signifies the full moon. To return thanks to heaven, he was very liberal in his alms to the poor, caused the prison doors to be set open, and gave all his slaves of both sexes their liberty. He distributed vast sums among the ministers and holy men of his religion. He also gave large donations to his courtiers, besides a considerable sum that was thrown amongst the people, and by proclamation ordered rejoicings to be kept for several days through the whole city. One day, after the queen was recovered, as the king of Persia, Gulnar, the queen her mother, King Salah her brother, and the princesses their relations, were discoursing together in her majesty's bedchamber, the nurse came in with the young prince Beder in her arms. King Salah, as soon as he saw him, 
ran to embrace him, and taking him in his arms, kissed and caressed him with the greatest demonstrations of tenderness. He took several turns with him about the room, dancing and tossing him about, when all of a sudden, through a transport of joy, the window being open, he sprung out and plunged with him into the sea. The king of Persia, who expected no such sight, believing he should either see the prince his son no more, or else that he should see him drowned, was overwhelmed in affliction. Sir, said Queen Gulnar, with a quiet and undisturbed countenance, the better to comfort him, let your majesty fear nothing. The young prince is my son as well as yours, and I do not love him less than yourself. You see, I am not alarmed, neither in truth ought I to be. He runs no risk, and you will soon see the king his uncle appear with him again, and bring him back safe. Although he be born of your blood, he is equally of mine, and will have the same advantage his uncle and I possess, of living equally in the sea and upon the land. The queen his mother and the princesses his relations affirmed the same thing, yet all they said had no effect on the king, who could not recover from his alarm till he again saw Prince Beder. The sea at length became troubled, when immediately King Salah arose with the young prince in his arms, and holding him up in the air, re-entered at the window from which he had leaped. The king of Persia, being overjoyed to see Prince Beder again, and astonished that he was as calm as before he lost sight of him, King Salah said, Sir, was not your majesty in alarm when you first saw me plunge into the sea with the prince, my nephew? Alas, prince, answered the king of Persia, I cannot express my concern. I thought him lost from that very moment, and you now restore life to me by bringing him again. I thought as much, replied King Salah, though you had not the least reason to apprehend danger, for before I plunged into the sea I pronounced over him certain mysterious words, which were engraved on the seal of the great Solomon, the son of David. We practice the like in relation to all those children that are born in the regions at the bottom of the sea, by virtue whereof they receive the same privileges as we have over those people who inhabit the earth. From what your majesty has observed, you may easily see what advantage your son Prince Beder has acquired by his birth on the part of his mother, Gulnar, my sister. For as long as he lives, and as often as he pleases, he will be at liberty to plunge into the sea, and traverse the vast empire it contains in its bosom. Having so spoken, King Salah, who had restored Prince Beder to his nurse's arms, opened a box he had fetched from his palace in the little time he had disappeared, which was filled with three hundred diamonds, as large as pigeons' eggs, a like number of rubies of extraordinary size, as many emerald ones, each half a foot long, and thirty strings or necklaces of pearls, consisting each of ten feet. "'Sir,' said he to the king of Persia, presenting him with this box, "'when I was first summoned by the queen my sister, I knew not what part of the earth she was in, or that she had the honour to be married to so great a monarch. This made us come without a present. As we cannot express how much we have been obliged to your majesty, I beg you to accept this small token of gratitude, in acknowledgment of the many favours you have been pleased to show her, wherein we take equal interest. It is impossible to express how greatly the king of Persia was surprised at the sight of so much riches, 
enclosed in so little compass. "'What, prince?' cried he. "'Do you call so inestimable a present a small token of your gratitude, when you never have been indebted to me? I declare once more you have never been in the least obliged to me, neither the queen your mother nor you. I esteem myself but too happy in the consent you have given to the alliance I have contracted with you, madam.' said he, turning to Gulnar. The king, your brother, has put me into the greatest confusion, and I would beg of him to permit me to refuse his present, were I not afraid of disobliging him. Do you therefore endeavour to obtain his leave, that I may be excused accepting it? Sir, replied King Salah, I am not at all surprised that your majesty thinks this present so extraordinary. I know you are not accustomed upon earth to see precious stones of this quality and number, but if you knew, as I do, the mines whence these jewels were taken, and that it is in my power to form a treasure greater than those of all the kings of the earth, you would wonder we should have the boldness to make you so small a present. I beseech you, therefore, not to regard its trifling value, but consider the sincere friendship which obliges us to offer it to you, and not give us the mortification of refusing it. These engaging expressions obliged the king of Persia to accept the present, for which he returned many thanks, both to King Salah and the queen his mother. A few days after, King Salah gave the king of Persia to understand that the queen his mother, the princesses his relations, and himself, could have no greater pleasure than to spend their whole lives at his court, but that having been so long absent from their own kingdom, where their presence was absolutely necessary, they begged of him to excuse them if they took leave of him and Queen Gulnar. The king of Persia assured them he was sorry it was not in his power to return their visit in their own dominions, but added, As I am persuaded you will not forget Gulnar, I hope I shall have the honour to see you again more than once. Many tears were shed on both sides upon their separation. King Salah departed first, but the queen his mother and the princesses his relations were obliged to force themselves from the embraces of Gilnar, who could not prevail with herself to let them go. This royal company were no sooner out of sight than the king of Persia said to Gilnar, Madam, I should have looked upon the person who had pretended to pass those upon me for true wonders, of which I myself have been eye-witness from the time I have been honoured with your illustrious family at my court, as one who would have abused my credulity. But I cannot refuse to believe my senses, and shall remember them while I live, and never cease to bless heaven for directing you to me in preference to any other prince. Beder was brought up and educated in the palace under the care of the king and queen of Persia, who both saw him grow and increase in beauty to their great satisfaction. He gave them yet greater pleasure, as he advanced in years, by his continual sprightliness, his agreeable manners, and the justness and vivacity of his wit. And this satisfaction was the more sensible, because King Salah his uncle, the queen his grandmother, and the princesses his relations, came from time to time to partake of it. He was easily taught to read and write, and was instructed with the same facility in all the sciences that became a prince of his rank. When he arrived at the age of fifteen, 
he acquitted himself in all his exercises with infinitely better address and grace than his masters. He was withal wise and prudent. The king, who had, almost from his cradle, discovered in him virtues so necessary for a monarch, and who moreover began to perceive the infirmities of old age coming upon himself every day, would not stay till death gave him possession of his throne, but proposed to resign it to him. He had no great difficulty to make his council consent to this arrangement, and the people heard his resolution with so much the more joy as they conceived Prince Beder worthy to govern them. In a word, as the king had not for a long time appeared in public, they had the opportunity of observing that he had not that disdainful, proud, and distant air which most princes have, who look upon all below them with scorn and contempt. They saw, on the contrary, that he treated all mankind with that goodness which invited them to approach him, that he heard favourably all who had anything to say to him, that he answered everybody with a goodness that was peculiar to him, and that he refused nobody anything that had the least appearance of justice. The day for the ceremony was appointed, when, in the midst of the whole assembly, which was then more numerous than ordinary, the king of Persia came down from his throne, took the crown from his head, put it on that of Prince Beder, and, having seated him in his place, kissed his hand, as a token that he resigned his authority to him, after which he took his place among the crowd of viziers and emirs below the throne. Hereupon the viziers, emirs, and other principal officers came immediately and threw themselves at the new king's feet, taking each the oath of fidelity according to their rank. Then the grand vizier made a report of diverse important matters, on which the young king gave judgment with that admirable prudence and sagacity that surprised all the council. He next turned out several governors convicted of maladministration, and put others in their room, with such wonderful and just discernment as exalted the acclamations of everybody, which were so much the more honourable as flattery had no share in them. He at length left the council, accompanied by his father, and went to wait on his mother, Queen Gulnar, at her apartment. The queen no sooner saw him coming with his crown upon his head than she ran to him and embraced him with tenderness, wishing him a long and prosperous reign. The first year of his reign, King Beder acquitted himself of all his royal functions with great assiduity. Above all, he took care to inform himself of the state of his affairs, and all that might any way contribute towards the happiness of his people. Next year, having left the administration to his council, under the direction of his father, he left his capital, under pretence of diverting himself with hunting, but his real intention was to visit all the provinces of his kingdom, that he might reform abuses, establish good order, and deprive all ill-minded princes, his neighbours, of any opportunities of attempting anything against the security and tranquillity of his subjects by showing himself on his frontiers. It required no less than a whole year for the young monarch to execute a design so worthy of him. Soon after his return, the old king, his father, fell so dangerously ill that he knew at once he should never recover. 
he waited for his last moment with great tranquillity and his only care was to recommend to the ministers and other lords of his son's court to persevere in the fidelity they had sworn to him and there was not one but willingly renewed his oath as freely as at first he died at length to the great grief of king beder and queen gulnar who caused his corpse to be borne to a stately mausoleum worthy of his rank and dignity the funeral obsequies ended King Beder found no difficulty to comply with that ancient custom in Persia to mourn for the dead a whole month, and not to be seen by anybody during that time. He had mourned the death of his father his whole life, had he yielded to his excessive affliction, and had it been right for a great prince thus to abandon himself to sorrow. During this interval the Queen Gulnar's mother and King Saleh, together with the princesses their relations, arrived at the persian court to condole with their relations when the month was expired the king could not refuse admittance to the grand vizier and the other lords of his court who besought him to lay aside his mourning to show himself to his subjects and take upon him the administration of affairs as before he showed so much reluctance to comply with their request that the grand vizier was forced to take upon himself to say sir it were needless to represent to your majesty that it belongs only to women to persist in perpetual mourning we doubt not but you are fully convinced of this and that it is not your intention to follow their example neither our tears nor yours are capable of restoring life to the good king your father though we should lament him all our days he has submitted to the common law of all men which subjects them to pay the indispensable tribute of death yet we cannot say absolutely that he is dead since we see in him your sacred person he did not himself doubt when he was dying but he should revive in you and to your majesty it belongs to show that he was not deceived king beder could no longer oppose such pressing instances he laid aside his mourning and after he had resumed the royal habit and ornaments began to provide for the necessities of his kingdom and subjects with the same assiduity as before his father's death he acquitted himself with universal approbation and as he was exact in maintaining the ordinances of his predecessor the people did not perceive they had changed their sovereign king saleh who was returned to his dominions in the sea with the queen his mother and the princesses no sooner saw that king beder had resumed the government but he at the end of the year came alone to visit him and King Beder and Queen Gulnar were overjoyed to see him. One evening, talking of various matters, King Saleh fell insensibly on the praises of the king his nephew, and expressed to the queen his sister how glad he was to see him govern so prudently, as to acquire such high reputation, not only among his neighbours, but more remote princes. King Beder, who could not bear to hear himself so well spoken of, and not being willing, through good manners, to interrupt the king his uncle, turned on one side, and feigned to be asleep, leaning his head against a cushion that was behind him. From these commendations, which regarded only the conduct and genius of Beder, King Saleh came to speak of the perfections of his person, which he extolled as prodigies, having nothing equal to them upon earth, or in all the kingdoms under the waters with which he was acquainted.' 
"'Sister,' said he, "'I wonder you have not thought of marrying him. "'If I mistake not, he is in his twentieth year, "'and at that age no prince ought to be suffered to be without a wife. "'I will think of a match for him myself, since you will not, "'and marry him to some princess of our lower world "'that may be worthy of him.' "'Brother,' replied Queen Gulnar, "'you call to my attention what I must own has never occurred to me.' As he discovered no inclination for marriage, I never thought of mentioning it to him. I like your proposal of one of our princesses, and I desire you to name one so beautiful and accomplished that the king my son may be obliged to love her. I know one, replied King Salah softly, but before I tell you who she is, let us see if the king my nephew be asleep and I will tell you afterwards why it is necessary we should take that precaution. Queen Gulnar turned about and looked at her son, and thought she had no reason to doubt but he was in a profound sleep. King Beder, nevertheless, far from sleeping, redoubled his attention, unwilling to lose anything the king his uncle said with so much secrecy. There is no necessity for your speaking so low, said the queen to the king her brother. You may speak out with freedom, without fear of being heard. It is by no means proper, said King Salah, that the king my nephew should as yet have any knowledge of what I am going to say. Love, you know, sometimes enters at the ear, and it is not necessary he should thus conceive a passion for the lady I am about to name. Indeed, I see many difficulties to be surmounted, not on the lady's part, as I hope, but on that of her father. I need only mention to you the Princess Jehaunara, daughter of the King of Samandal. How, brother, replied Queen Gulnar, is not the princess yet married? I remember to have seen her before I left your palace. She was then about eighteen months old, surprisingly beautiful, and must needs be the wonder of the world if her charms have increased with her years. The few years she is older than the king my son ought not to prevent us from doing our utmost to effect the match. Let me but know the difficulties in the way, and we will surmount them. Sister, replied King Salah, the greatest difficulty is that the King of Samandal is insupportably vain, looking upon all others as his inferiors. It is not likely we shall easily get him to enter into this alliance. I will, however, go to him in person, and demand of him the princess his daughter and in case he refuses her, we will address ourselves elsewhere, where we shall be more favourably heard. For this reason, as you may perceive, added he, it is as well for the king my nephew not to know anything of our design, till we have the consent of the king of Samandal. They discoursed a little longer upon this point, and before they parted, agreed that King Salah should forthwith return to his own dominions, and demand the princess for the king of Persia his nephew. This done, Queen Gulnar and King Salah, who believed King Beder asleep, agreed to awake him before they retired, and he dissembled so well that he seemed to awake from a profound sleep. He had heard every word, and the character they gave of the princess had inflamed his heart with a new passion. He had conceived such an idea of her beauty that the desire of possessing her made him pass the night very uneasy without closing his eyes. The next day King Salah proposed taking leave of Gilnar 
and the king his nephew. The young king, who knew his uncle would not have departed so soon, but to go and promote without loss of time his happiness, changed colour when he heard him mention his departure. His passion was become so violent, it would not suffer him to wait so long for the sight of his mistress, as would be required to accomplish the marriage. He more than once resolved to desire his uncle to bring her away with him, but as he did not wish to let the queen his mother understand he knew anything of what had passed, he desired him only to stay with him one day more, that they might hunt together, intending to take that opportunity to discover his mind to him. The day for hunting was fixed, and King Beder had many opportunities of being alone with his uncle, but he had not courage to acquaint him with his design. In the heat of the chase, when King Salah was separated from him, and not one of his officers or attendants was near him, he alighted by a rivulet, and having tied his horse to a tree, which with several others growing along the banks afforded a very pleasing shade, he laid himself on the grass, and gave free course to his tears, which flowed in great abundance, accompanied with many sighs. He remained a good while in this condition, absorbed in thought, without speaking a word. King Salah, in the meantime, missing the king his nephew, began to be much concerned to know what was become of him, but could meet no one who could give any tidings of him. He therefore left his company to seek for him, and at length perceived him at a distance. He had observed the day before, and more plainly that day, that he was not so lively as he used to be, and that, if he was asked a question, he either answered not at all, or nothing to the purpose, but never in the least suspected the cause. As soon as he saw him lying in that disconsolate posture, he immediately guessed he had not only heard what had passed between him and Queen Gulnar, but was become passionately in love. He alighted at some distance from him, and having tied his horse to a tree, came upon him so softly that he heard him pronounce the following words. Amiable princess of the kingdom of Samandal, I have no doubt had but an imperfect sketch of your incomparable beauty. I hold you to be still more beautiful in preference to all the princesses of the world, and to excel them as much as the sun does the moon and stars. I would this moment go and offer you my heart, if I knew where to find you. It belongs to you, and no princess shall be possessor of it but yourself. King Salah would hear no more. He advanced immediately, and discovered himself to Beder. "'From what I see, nephew,' said he, "'you heard what the queen your mother and I said the other day of the princess Jehonara. It was not our intention you should have known anything respecting her, and we thought you were asleep.' "'My dear uncle,' replied King Beder, "'I heard every word, and have sufficiently experienced the effect you foretold.' which it was not in your power to prevent. I detained you on purpose to acquaint you with my love before your departure, but the shame of disclosing my weakness, if it be any, to love a princess so worthy of my affection, sealed up my mouth. I beseech you then, by the friendship you profess for a prince who has the honour to be so nearly allied to you, that you would pity me, and not wait to procure me the consent of the divine Jehonara, till you have gained that of the king of Samandal, that I may marry his daughter, 
unless you had rather see me die with love before I behold her. These words of the king of Persia greatly embarrassed King Salah. He represented to him how difficult it was to give him the satisfaction he desired, and that he could not do it without carrying him along with him, which might be of dangerous consequence, since his presence was so absolutely necessary in his kingdom. He conjured him, therefore, to moderate his passion, till such time as he had put things into a train to satisfy him, assuring him he would use his utmost diligence, and would come to acquaint him in a few days. But these reasons were not sufficient to satisfy the king of Persia. "'Cruel uncle,' said he, "'I find you do not love me so much as you pretended, and that you had rather see me die than grant the first request I ever made.' "'I am ready to convince your majesty,' replied King Salah, "'that I would do anything to serve you. "'But as for carrying you along with me, "'I cannot do that till I have spoken to the queen your mother. "'What would she say of you and me? "'If she consents, I am ready to do all you would have me, "'and will join my entreaties to yours.' "'You cannot be ignorant,' replied the king of Persia, "'that the queen my mother would never willingly part with me.' and therefore this excuse does but farther convince me of your unkindness. If you really love me, as you would have me believe, you must return to your kingdom immediately, and take me with you. King Salah, finding himself obliged to yield to his nephew's importunity, drew from his finger a ring on which were engraved the same mysterious names of God that were upon Solomon's seal, which had wrought so many wonders by their virtue. "'Here, take this ring,' said he. "'Put it on your finger, and fear neither the waters of the sea nor their depth.' The king of Persia took the ring, and when he had put it on his finger, King Salah said to him, "'Do as I do.' At the same time they both mounted lightly up into the air, and made towards the sea, which was not far distant, and they both plunged into it. End of section 2